We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Tuesday morning. It's June 13th. And today we have John Krasinski from The Athletic joining us. As John, we were just talking about sitting at the point of the summer where we began to shift from reflecting on the season that was, which I guess officially ended last night. Congrats to the Denver Nuggets. And we start ramping up our offseason coverage. The draft is in nine days. Free agency begins in 18 days, and Summer League is in 24 days. It it never stops, John. Uh, it's been a minute. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it never stops. Um, you know, my wife is thrilled that the draft <laughs> is right around the corner and free agency <laughs> is coming and all that. Um, and But it, it's exciting, right? Like, this is yeah. the time, like, that I think you can inject a little bit of what if or what you know, sure. some optimism, things like that, and, and try and run through scenarios of, of what can happen and do some thought exercises. And, and that's kind of always fun to ramp up the anticipation and the build up to what, mm-hmm. whatever actually does happen on draft night of free agency and trades and all this stuff. So um, I, you know, I took some time away, just, just uh, relax a little bit um, and spend some family time. And so now it's kind of, back in the saddle like let's let's go and and see what happens here so i'm looking forward to that yeah just the offseason start like i would be cool with free agency happening over like any six days of the entire summer where we are very off but it's fourth of july and that's always it's the dumbest oh god that, that part stinks sucks. man it does it stink. absolutely stinks. but i am excited for it i am excited yeah. for it nba broadly and the wolves uh, we're going to talk about some of that stuff today but you and I were texting last week, just kind of reflecting on the season, and you brought up that it might be a good off-season pod idea to reflect on the season from the vantage point of the fan base, which I think is just probably in general a, a good idea for us to do, but it it felt a little bit maybe more pressing this season and just, I mean, for me, it was, the volume was just up from July 2nd, uh, right, when they, they, July 1st, July 2nd, when they made the Go Bear trade. And just, it was kind of a, I think, a side job for both of us to track the reaction to the Gobert trade, how the season was or wasn't going to make meet expectations and ultimately didn't. 
And then kind of how, as it is part of our jobs, like tracking how that impacts the way in which fans interact with our work. And then tangentially off that, how they interact with us as as people. You've been covering this team for 18, 19 years, as you remind. I don't know why I said 16 in the email. I think you told me that one time, and then I just clucked that in my head. But I told you that two and a half years ago. Probably. I know, exactly. <laughs> that, that would be, let me check your math there. Um, you've been covering this team for a long, long time, and what you were expressing to me in the text was this year just felt different. What, what, did, what did that difference in terms of your interaction with the fan base and the fan base interacting with your work what was what did that look like? Or what did that feel like for you? Yeah, it, it felt just so much heavier um, than we're used to Timberwolves consumption, Timberwolves fandom being because um, I, I got to a point at the end of the season where I took my mentions off of Twitter hmm. um, and I couldn't look at it anymore. And like, I, I do think that there was this sort of you and I both I think have these roles in this town of being the conduit from fan to uh organization they can't yell at Tim Connolly so they yell at us sometimes um but I what I did notice and pick up on was that the sort of toxicity of the yelling was at a different level than it sure. had been before and I do think there are good reasons for that uh, with sort of the expectations that come with a Rudy Gobert trade. Um, certainly like the underwhelming nature of what they were seeing on the court. I think that, you know, we can get into this throughout the pod, but I do think that there's a cumulative effect with the failures of most of the sports teams in this town and, and, and what that has done for the psyche of the fan base. Um, but I, you know, I got, to a point this season and toward the end of the season where for the first time in 19 years of doing this, I, I think I allowed it to sort of change the way that I responded on Twitter sometimes, the way that I uh, interacted both with fans, but then also with, you know, analyzing players and things. I mean, uh, game five of of the of the Nuggets series where, where when it ended, um, toward the end of the game and Rudy didn't get a couple of rebounds. And I just said, well, you know, uh, this team lost because of Rudy Gobert. And, um, and, you know, then I went into the locker room afterward and talked to a bunch of players and talked to coaches and talked to Rudy himself. And there was a lot of disagreement about that. And, and, and so I reflected and changed, you know, and, and kind of added something to it afterward, just saying, Hey, look, maybe I got that a little bit wrong, but um, so that was just kind of one example of sort of, but John, I think that's I, the perfect example of like you being a little ramped up from the course yep. of the, everything of the season. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, me, Jason, Chris did a pod that night after the game. And I got a lot of pushback from fans on that too. And I think hindsight reflecting on that, it was sort of the same thing where I, or me, Jason, Chris did not take in the positives of particularly the second half of that game five. And instead we're like, this is an indictment of what we've been saying is an indictment of the trade yeah. the entire season. And that, that isn't, or wasn't, you know, fair on our part. And I saw you and Rudy interact in the locker room mm -hmm. about that. And it was the, it was the same thing. I think that's, you know, 
that's on us in ways, I guess, but it's, we're not going to be perfect in, in those mm -hmm. sort of things. And we even, we get caught up in, a, in the emotion of it to an extent, which we shouldn't, we should temper that, but we're also humans, right? And even if it's an emotion that isn't the same as a fan's emotion, emotions skew, right? Yeah. And um, I think, sorry, I just kind of cut you off there, but to mm -hmm. the no. to the mentions thing, like I I didn't turn mine off, but I found myself progressively over the course of the season not like looking at that or not going to Reddit or Canis or wherever it might be to to look, you know, about what people are talking about because I'm doing a lot of podcasts. You're writing a lot of articles. Like I use that stuff as fuel, right? To, right, to fill absolutely. up the fill up the hour, right? Fill up the column and that sort of thing. And I think I think I just got to the point where I'm like earlier on in the season, I'm like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. This is just kind of toxic. I need to just maybe take a step back for a bit. But it's it's just, I guess, I think for both of us, it's it's just unfortunate, right? Because, you know, I've come up in this covering bad teams predominantly and you are whatever the conduit you're somebody you're talking to in that and i know you've been doing it for a lot longer than i have but you've pretty much only covered bad teams too right right, right. so i think that's part of this too where it's it's on us because this is part of the reality of the job right mm -hmm. is when you're covering a team for the first time or one of the first times with expectations it's just gonna juice it all up in in a way and really i mean for you how many years would you say you've covered a team with expectations in the 19 years two i mean yeah two maybe like i mean I, you, they they, you, they the trade for jimmy butler put some expectations on it the trade for rudy um i came in at the in in the ha the halfway through the the year after they went to the 04 western conference finals and so there were expectations on that group um but it quickly fell off. Yeah. And, and I think like one of the things about this conversation that I want to make clear is I don't expect or right. I, this is not me saying, guys, you need to be more positive about it. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. fans, yeah. like look on the bright side of things, um, because there are certainly plenty of reasons to be concerned mm. about where this team could go to certainly have your frustrations about what you saw from Rudy or um, be tired of cats, uh, you know, injuries or whatever it is. Um, and, and you get mad at Finch for not making an adjustment things like that, not calling a timeout, Time like all fair game. And I have covered teams that were terrible, um, just awful, awful teams. And, and most of them I've covered have been awful. And I've never once have I said, Hey guys, like, you know, come on, you know, be nicer to these guys. That's not the point of of what I've noticed. I just thought that for this year, the thing that was unique was that it wasn't just frustration that was being conveyed or it wasn't lamenting or this or that. It was like a general pissed offness that um was really palpable and i think players felt it i think coaches felt it certainly i felt it and like one thing that as i've reflected on is like i do have to do a better job of just not letting that right sort of thing get to me and and i've heard it all over the 20 years like why do you cover this team this is a waste of time all that stuff that's like that's normal yeah. that's fine but i just think like i snapped at the fans in the in the in the playoffs one time about bitching about the referees 
Um, and and that's just not like the way that I like to do things. I love to interact. That's actually with just not you. you know? that's it's not, not me you. at all. Like I know it's, you. And it's, it's it's not me at all. And so like that kind of stuff. When I started to notice that it was that, and it was you know being a little like with a you know, sticking a knife in so, sort of with some of the analysis and reacting strongly. It's like whoa, man. Like I gotta check myself a little bit. There are other <laughs> yeah. people in the media that love to do that and love and and do the hot takes and do mm. the critical thing, and that's fine. You you can do that, and, and I have no question qualms against it. That's just never been my my issue. And so there have been a few times, like in the playoffs late in the season, where I even sent out like a little apology tweet or whatever because like I got to hold myself accountable. But it was like the general reactions and the general atmosphere around that team made it very difficult mm-hmm. um, or more difficult, I should say, than most teams that I've been around. And uh, and it was a real thing that you could just, you could feel and you could sense. And to some extent, I get it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, and I, I do want to talk about comparing it to Jimmy and that year a little bit, but I do think this is different. And part of the reason from the jump why the fans were frustrated about this, which we both know, but I think it's worth relitigating a little bit, is that people didn't love the trade at the time, the price paid, and it came with a long-term commitment to this type of roster construction, or at least in the sense that Rudy had four years left on his contract. And at that time, Carl had six, right? Mm -hmm. So the vitriol is up, because the fear is up because the idea of failure, which people predicted going into the season, which played out for a host of reasons in and out of the team's control, did prove true. And now they're looking at it. And they're saying, or throughout the course of the season, they're saying, we got Gobert on the books for three more years in the 40 million plus range. And we got Carl on the books for five more years in the 50 plus million dollar range. This is frustrating. It for it, the fan would be saying, "This is frustrating for me. I don't see this getting better, and this feels almost permanent." Then you stack up on top of that. That's kind of the on ramp to Ant's prime, right? And I understand not believing in Cat and Rudy, right? Because you saw what you saw in a, a small sample size, and I then understand the fear of the ant stuff but none of it at the same time none of it's guaranteed and it was a small sample size it was all that stuff but i i do understand the fear that fans have and i understand the idea in their heads that that's not going away because i mean what have we heard from the team the entire since the season ended we're running it back well for a large percentage of the fan base that's not what they want to hear there that is them twisting the knife into the fan base even if it's their real belief it's what the fan it's a wound that the fan base already has so it's it's tricky and and i think why this is a good conversation john is because there's more big decisions to come right mm-hmm. obviously cat is a big hot button topic right now which really in parentheses means finances are going to be a problem here coming soon and fans are are a little bit concerned about that next big decision and the expectations that are come with that decision and the idea that they might be they might miss those expectations. Again, let's take a quick break. I want to get your your thought on that and compare it to the Jimmy thing. We'll be back with John Krasinski in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by the Genesis Company. 
As an entrepreneur, do you envision your innovative products on retail shelves? If that is you, then listen up. The Genesis Company is your guide to retail triumph. Their expert team has aided over 300 brands, generate more than $3 billion in retail sales, and is dedicated to transforming your dreams into reality. The Genesis Company amplifies your brand's potential by leveraging advanced marketing strategies and the latest technology. They specialize in extending direct-to-customer brands into mass retail and enhancing retail brands, DTC, or Amazon presence. But they offer more than just marketing. From retail consulting, packaging, and sales strategies to operations, financing, and supply chain management, they provide a comprehensive end-to-end solution. And here's the best part. The Genesis Company is invested in your success. They're not just a service provider. They're your partner in growth. When your brand wins, they win too. If you're ready for the next level, contact them today at grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Let's scale your brand together. Today's episode is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant, and summer in the NBA means the off-season, but summer is also absolutely the season at Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. The team at Hyacinth is working tirelessly to bring you the most delicious, vibrant food the state of Minnesota has to offer. The chefs, they're hitting all the metro farmers markets and partnering with local farms so you know you're getting the freshest, most in-season products that you can get your hands on. I've been to Hyacinth a bunch of times for special occasions or just the casual impromptu meal, and I think they excel at both. I love getting the staple menu items, the Bucatini Casio e Pepe. I've loved there, and uh, I've gone with Kyle a couple times. His favorite is the chicken parm. But they do surprise me every time with an array of seasonal dishes that I didn't get on my last visit, and I think that's the best thing about Hyacinth. I get I get the comfort of a reliable standby and the feeling of discovery all in the same meal. So make a reservation on their website, hyacinthstpaul.com, to select a seat at a table, the bar, or the summer-only sidewalk patio. That's Hyacinth Restaurant on Grand Avenue in St. Paul. All right, back to John Krasinski. John, so we're just, we're talking about the idea of a big decision coming with big expectations and what happens if those expectations in one year aren't met. That happened this year. It also happened in 2017, 2018 with the Jimmy situation. I think there's parallels to make that people are making, but I also think there's, and those parallels are right. You make the trade. It's one year in. It kind of feels like things aren't perfect. Maybe another trade needs to happen. That ultimately happened in the Jimmy situation through a whole bunch of crap. Um, how do you see those things, two parts, how do you see those two things to be similar and how, if at all, do you think internally in the organization, they parallel 2017 or the 2018 summer to the 2023 summer, um, that we're at right now? Yeah. So, I mean, I do think that there are parallels in terms of, you know, giving up valued, uh, entities or components of your franchise to go get an established star that you think is going to put the team over the hump. Um, remember back in, in when they made the trade for Jimmy, you know, Tibbs came in the year prior and was supposed to be the guy that expedited the learning curve for uh, Towns, Wiggins, Levine. Here was one of the most talented young cores in the league. They just need a, a real pro to push them through. Well, they won two more games in his first season than they did under Sam Mitchell. And it was like, oh my gosh, like this is not gonna, this mix isn't working. So then they go and get Jimmy. And I do think that uh, at the time that 
you know, similar to when you looked at the Rudy deal right away, you're like, ooh, did they pay a little too much? Because yep. Zach Levine was very well thought of just locally, whether that's right or wrong. He was very well thought of and thought, okay, he's going to be a big component going forward. And it's like what we feel up. about Jaden. It's like yep. a Jade, like a Jaden yep. a year ago. Yeah. hundred percent. And so, so then Jimmy comes in a um, lot of excitement. And, but I do think that the advantage that that team had over the Rudy uh, team and over this last year team is they were still running on uh, a long playoff drought. Um, and there, there was also still a lot of equity and hope in Carl Anthony Towns at that point. He was just in his third year, sure. um, you know, still like really believe at, you know, there was a belief among most people in the fan base that, Hey, this is your number one guy. And now you have Jimmy to come in and help. And that's going to just take off like a rocket ship. And so then you get into the season and Jimmy plays great. I mean, he was really, really good, like MVP level stuff from Jimmy. Um, and so whatever you thought about where they ended in the eighth seed, um, you know, kind of the disappointment of all that and Jimmy's injury and all that, at least from what you saw in the return that you got, the player, the star that you got back, he was really, really good. Um, and so then you look at this last team and um you bring in Rudy and he's coming off of uh he's coming to a group that made the playoffs the year before that was super fun that yep. everyone really enjoyed watching and and they were really kind of I think hoping to see this team grow together even though I personally think that team hit its ceiling like that there that team wasn't going mm-hmm. any further that's my that's my opinion but so then Rudy comes into that um and Rudy also uh, does not play as well as the Rudy Gobert in Utah. You just watched him play and he was not as effective. I think he was maybe underestimated in terms of his impact because I think we can have a conversation about this. Yes, they did not meet expectations, but I thought overall to see that team get to the playoffs, missing Carl Anthony Towns for 50 games, going through all of the things that they went through, um, Jaden out, you know, all, all the injuries and everything and still get to the playoffs and actually play pretty competitively in the first year of this Rudy plan. I thought that was actually not the worst thing in the world, but, um, but I do think that the optics of watching Rudy not look as effective as he was in Utah and knowing that you do have this long tail on the contract and how, and, and you gave up these picks and how do you sort of how do what's the next step right. is is the question to um to to success and to getting past the first round getting deeper into the playoffs um i think that is the difference here and and so it's harder to see rudy a, a scenario where rudy comes back and plays really well and is super effective and is in more of an all-star caliber player where jimmy was clearly an all-star caliber. Jimmy player. was also like and 27 from, then, right? right? 28 and, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. a wing where a big yep. 30, yep. you different. know, there's just the age curves in that sort of way. I mean, I, I see similarities and differences. It's, I mean, that was right when I started being around. So I wasn't in it. 
I, I, I don't feel like I can really talk about what it felt like internally or what exactly was going on with the, the Jimmy situation then compared to now. But I think on the surface, there's things that are similar. And then there's just obvious differences, different personalities, different ages. Carl's at such a different time in his career. Now you have Ant in the mix, yada, yada. There's a million different things that are different, too. I think the biggest similarity is another big decision is to come. And obviously that had to happen in the Jimmy time. Jimmy forced the Tibbs wanted to run it back. Jimmy right. forced the big decision of not running it back and, and breaking it up. And I think we're faced here at the same time of big decision a run it back or big decision B adjust the roster, maybe for some more roster balance. And also maybe with some idea of knowing the finances here are going to be prohibitive to some extent down the road. Either of those are big decisions. And I think that's what's leading to more of this pressure again. And that's what's leading to, as some of the stuff has trickled out with the CBA and what that's going to mean, not just for the Timberwolves, but for all 30 teams, it's going to change some stuff about roster construction. And it's going to be most pointed at teams who are at the place that the Wolves happen to be at right now, which is having a super max player, another player on a max, and then other players who are coming up to get expensive too. There is, there is pressure in the next 24 months, 12 months, I guess, for this sort of team. I know the fan base is starting to get caught on that and the frustration and that agita and the, everything we were just talking about about last season feels like it's getting ramped up in a new sort of direction. How much do you think the organization is feeling that or thinking that right now? Like we said, their word has been, we're running it back. We believe in it X, Y, and Z. But since we last talked to Tim Connolly, at least publicly, which was May 8th or whatever, when the when we did our end of season press conferences, some stuff has changed in the world. There's new been new information presented to the nerds, which like Tim Connolly and front office executives are like the king of the nerds in the world. Like, where do you think they're at with needing to, you know, use this new information to make some big decisions here going forward? Yeah, I mean, first of all, like, I do think that it needs to be said and noted that the Timberwolves made this Rudy Gobert trade under completely different financial parameters than are about to hit with no anticipation that it was going to be what it appears to be going into 24, 25. And and they are not alone in sort of having to eventually face this fiscal reality. I think you're going to see Boston deal with it. I think you're going to see Denver deal with it. You're going to see the Lakers deal with it. There's going to be a lot of teams that have to deal with it. So this wasn't a case of, man, they screwed up. How could they not have seen this coming? Very few people around the league you know, could see the second apron coming like this and, and, and be that way. It would have been hard to anticipate. But now that they, now that it is arriving, yeah, I, I do think that they are certainly looking at the financial parameters and trying to plan for the long-term uh, impacts of it. And that is something that I do think that this organization has struggled with throughout its, right. you know, my time covering it is 
what is the plan three, four years down the road, five years down the road, and not what is sitting right in front of your face. Mm -hmm. And so that is some of the things that have led to the most mistakes that they have made is not having kind of a long-term plan that they're able to enact and that they want to stay with. So I do think that they would be silly and, and foolish not to be looking hard at what the impact's going to be for them uh, over the long haul here. I do not get the sense that they are immediately afraid of what's coming in terms of like, I don't think they have shifted into a, we have to do whatever it takes to uh, clean our books and make sure that we are in good shape. I think one thing that separates this team going forward from the Butler team is that uh, they have a clear number one now. Like, you know, when Jimmy wanted out, um, you're you're still hoping and and maybe and, and thinking that, hey, maybe Towns is your real number one and 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 you go forward that way. Now I think everyone knows that Anthony Edwards is, has the stuff for that. And so in some respects, um, if you have that number one guy, like that's the hardest thing to find in the league. Mm -hmm. And so they believe they have that and they're building that. We heard Tim Conley say after, after the season was over is like, Hey, every decision going forward has to have Anthony Edwards in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, so, but I, I don't think that they feel an immediate pressure to really kind of make significant changes. It could happen. I'm not right. ruling it out. There could be a great offer that comes in for Towns. There could be something that changes their perspective on it and says, okay, let's let's make a major move, you know, this summer pr rather than waiting for next summer. But I do think that they look at their situation in general. And they say, we have our number one guy. He was amazing in the playoffs. Um, we missed our, our one B by for 50 games and still made the playoffs. What other Timberwolves team in Timberwolves history? Could you take the second player off of another fan face of the franchise off of your roster and still make the playoffs? Um, and, and they like their coach. They think that Rudy actually was, um, impactful in ways that are not obvious and, and that they would not have made the, the playoffs without Rudy. And so there is definitely intrigue on their part. Like, gosh, let's, let's take a look at this and let's, let's, let's give it another shot. It, again, again, it doesn't guarantee success and it doesn't guarantee that's what they're ultimately going to do. But there is a lot of examination internally about, we think that we got a short, stick last year mm -hmm. and for for some reasons that were our fault rudy coming in and being a little banged up carl going through everything that he went through some things that were completely out of our control like the the calf injury and like all of the games they missed for illnesses and things like that um and so it's unfinished business i think that they look at and so um i have not sensed anything from them saying we've got to go now right. um to, to me, it's like they go now and they make a move now if they think the, the the move is completely ideal and sets them up in a great spot going forward for the ant prime, whatever it is. I, I think the D'Angelo Russell, I'm going to explain this, but I think the D, how the D'Angelo Russell situation played out might be a good thing to look at in how the Wolves might handle this 
issue that they have now in terms of finances. I feel like for me in the past couple episodes, I've really been focusing on the 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 impasse that is coming in terms of the salary cap and what is what is going to be there in 24, 25. And the reason I've done that is because that's new information. Um, and so to me, I'm like, hey, this is something new that we need to draw to our attention that is coming in 24, 25. In doing that and trying to set that table, I think I've brushed over the idea that is kind of obvious that one, everybody has to deal with the same financial restrictions mm -hmm. of the CBA. It's for all 30 teams. I think I've brushed over that some and just trying to kind of set the scene. And then two, as I've thought about it more, I think the part that that I haven't thought of or brought up on here as much is that this front office has already effectively navigated a difficult situation they inherited in the D'Angelo Russell situation. And I think all things considered, that ended up being a situation they navigated well. Ultimately, they got back not only Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but three second round picks for that, right? And they could not have gotten that. I think you would back me up in saying this at this time last year for D'Angelo Russell. The season right. had to have played out. They had to be patient. They had to take some lumps along the way of having a player who, what, what's the word? Uh, what the They say with GM, a sitting duck point guard um, that was probably not going to be coming back. And he was one of your main players. And they had to navigate that knowing they were probably not going to have him for the long haul. He had to take your lumps there. But it ultimately got them out of a bad situation and into one that is more palatable going forward. And I think they could effectively navigate this situation with the financial, the financials of the team well, too. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean a cat trade doesn't necessarily mean a go bear trade. It just means navigating a difficult situation is necessarily about being exhaustive, right, in your research for what options you do have and, if necessary, being patient to find the best answer. So the patience is the key. Right. Like, like and, and so I, 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 I just feel bad that I, I feel like I've like sounded the alarm needs to happen now, now, now. I think something has to happen, but there are numerous windows in which they can act. It could be now the draft free agency. It, it could be actually it could be later in the summer. We've seen stuff like that happen before. Um, it could be at the trade deadline or it could be next summer, too. And I mean, I get the sense with the way that you're describing how the organization is functioning, functioning internally, thinking about this stuff. Is there open to using any of those different windows to navigate this problematic financial situation that is coming when 2024, 25 comes. Would you agree with that? Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think like that, w when you try to sketch out and, and speculate on what they're going to do and how they're going to react, you have to look at who is making the decisions and Tim Connolly for his history, aside from this big splash Rudy Gobert deal that he made um, right away in, in July of last year um, that I think, ownership was really excited about i think he was i think you know finch was in like everyone was was pretty much in on from internal perspective but that that move that he made was counter to 
all, the way that he's run right. the Nuggets his entire life and or his entire career there, all of his nine years. And what we have seen and what we have heard from the Nuggets out of their championship run is how important it was that they did not panic early on in their Mike Malone did not make the playoffs in his first three seasons as coach. How many other organizations would have given him a fourth season, a fifth, a sixth, you know, all of those things, um, you know, Murray and, and Jokic took time to come together and figure things out. M- Michael Porter Jr. had the injuries. They, 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 they didn't panic and dump, try to dump him somewhere else. Um, and so Tim Connolly's MO is we are going to kind of see this through as much as possible. And we are not going to um, panic and, and make moves uh, before that we we feel like we have all of the information and data to do it. Uh, there were people uh, it, last summer that wanted him to trade D'Angelo right away. And as soon as he came along, D'Angelo's got to go. It's got to we got we need a different kind of point guard for this group. Let's let's make that happen. And maybe that would have been the right decision. But Connolly was one of the people in the organization that said, hey, maybe he and Rudy can work together. Let's see this through. Let's give him a chance and and see it. Or let's at uh, least wait until D'Angelo's market. His value. Exactly. Because like the other question that you do have to ask right now is. uh, With Carl Anthony Towns. Is his value right. where you want it to move him? Because but he's coming off of a season where he missed 50 what, games. What do you think? Do, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to. That's like the biggest. Exactly. I don't know how to quantify in this whole quandary. I, I don't like it's it's hard for me to see a scenario where um, a team is offering three first round picks and, and and really good young players and and things like that to make that happen right now um but what like i i do think that there's people who are thinking what if you start next season with him mm-hmm. and everyone is healthy he's in good shape rudy is not in bad shape at all and you look more like the team in the second half of game five right. that really looked good the one now, that you hated Yeah, right. (laughs) Tiny sample size for that. But there's also really a tiny sample size for this didn't work at all. True. Like Mm -hmm. you just didn't get enough. So like you could trade towns this summer, but I do think that it would not be as overwhelming of a return as if he does come back and plays really well. Now, you also have to factor in the salary increases and things like that, like that part of it is a real thing. Rudy Gobert would not have gone for five first-round picks in this new salary cap environment. Not. Kevin Durant would not have been traded nope. for what he was traded for. I mean, nope. wheel it back, Paul George on down the line, every big trade that's happened. This is, at a minimum, what the CBA is going to do is going to change the return on what star players who are high, highly paid get. It is going to cut into that. I don't know if that makes it 75% of it, 50% of it, 90% of it, whatever it is. But economically, illustrates the idea that the returns for star players are not going to be the the same as they were anymore. And just going off of that is reason. It adds a little bit of fuel to the run it back idea. 
you know, or sure. the being the being uh, patient with the part. Let me, well, let me and here's the on. other part of it, too, that I think there's another uh, side effect that you talk to GMs and people around the league about what's going to happen. The middle class is going to get squeezed. Yeah. And so in a couple of years, you're not going to be signing, you know, uh, Bruce Brown for mm-hmm. 13 or 15 million dollars like he's going to get this summer. Yep. Uh, you're not going to be signing. Maybe Nas Nas might get paid this summer. It's going to be a lot harder for players like Nas to get $12, $13 million a year going forward right. several years down the road because teams are going to say, we want our two max stars, and then we're going to pay other t- people around them. But that that number is going to come down mm-hmm. on, on what these guys are making. And so in that respect, if you let the market play out a little bit, and let you know that it, let the 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 prices set, reset themselves that might help them as right. well going forward so there's a lot of these little like offshoots that i think that they want to they they're they're saying to themselves let's just hold on here for mm-hmm. a second right. like if we have a good deal let's do it mm-hmm. but like let's hold on for a second and just see how all of this shakes out because we can all talk about it as much as we want. But once it gets into practice and the reality sets in, it can be an entirely different effect that could be advantageous for them or could change the way that they want to do things. I I think that the two things you brought up there, Denver and the squeezing of the middle class are two really relevant uh, examples for this team. I'm going to dig into that a little bit. We're going to grab our our second break. We're back with John here in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs, and Bird Dogs is a comfortable clothing line that makes you look good. I'm a fan of Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts because most of my shorts are made of stiff, restricting cotton, but the Bird Dogs pair I have, they fix that issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks like khaki, but stretches so you get a slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. They use an anti-stink, anti-sweat fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. I mean, Bird Dogs is the exact same thing as Lululemon but they just fit way better. So if you're looking for a more comfortable set of shorts this summer, I really would recommend Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool, P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. They promise you. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week, and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets, it was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third-party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate, and that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, It was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set, and tickets are sent directly to your phone. So no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there. You can just snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code DaneMore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back with John Krasinski. John, uh, as I emailed you um, in preparation for this, your your colleague at The Athletic, John Hollinger, wrote a good article on on the Denver and how they're kind of poised to keep this thing going uh, into the future. He says, quote, Denver's salary cap situation is completely manageable under the new CBA, which I think like sounds some alarms in in Wolves fans' heads of like, wait a minute, or they look up the salaries and go, that's that's really similar. I mean, Jokic and Cat, both on Supermaxes, right? Same there, 35% of the cap. The one difference is Murray and Gobert. Murray's about 25% of the cap. Gobert's 31%. That's That difference is important to note, but similar, right? MPJ, 25% max. Ant is going to be 25% of the max, maybe 30, 30 if he gets all NBA probably 25, the same as MPJ. And then Aaron Gordon and Jaden McDaniels are about the same. I've kind of thrown out the Mikel Bridges number for Jaden, which is 17% of the cap. Gordon's is 16% of the cap. So you really look at that and you go, wait a minute, this team who's supposed to be the next Spurs, they're shaped in the exact same way. We should be straight, right? Mm-hmm. There, The important part there, though, it, it, this really is like a, a game of like five percent, though. Mm-hmm. Like Denver, yeah. as we as we've all heard, like Denver is, does not have the means to bring back Bruce Brown next year. That is that is where they are going to feel the salary cap pinch. And then a year from from now, they have KCP on the books another year. That same thing is going to happen in a year where they are not going to have the ability to bring back KCP. So they are going to be in two years stripped down to just those four pieces. And their only real means to surround that out is going to be like rookies, minimum contracts, or the tax mid-level exception, which is like seven and a half million dollars. And and I think when you're Denver and you think about it, you go, okay, that four is really good. They won a championship. We they could lose Bruce Brown. They could lose KCP. And they could replace that with a Christian Brown, another rookie, maybe catch some lightning in a bottle with a minimum. 
and they could use this taxman level exception. The difference with the wolves, just in terms of the numbers, is they will not have that gap between Murray and Gobert is the difference in having being able to use that tax mid level exception, right? So the way in which Denver is going to be able to replace Brown and KCP, the Wolves likely will not have. And I think that is a distinguishing factor is why I've turned up the heat on this idea a little bit more because I think that's important. Yes, obviously your top four players are your most important, but rounding it all out with rookies and minimums like, that's not going to work. That wouldn't. I don't think that Especially would work. Especially in Minnesota, that does not. You, it, you can't get guys to take minimums. It, exactly. And so I think that's just the the little bit of difference I see just from a salary standpoint. But then the other bit is, you know, and Wolves Jokic fans, is pretty freaking yeah, good. Yeah, I right? know. Like, those, like the Denver <laughs> four is better. I'm sorry. Like the Denver yeah, four yes. is better. And like, is there a world where Ant elevates himself into the Jokic tier? Yeah, I see. I actually almost you know, would bet on Ant being coming by the time he's Jokic's age, a top five player in the NBA, you know, like that's possible, but it's on the margins that is going to make it tough. It's going to make it really tough for the Wolves to surround their four tougher than it is, is going to be for Denver. And the fact that the Wolves four is not as good as Denver's four is additional reason to be like, okay, I think maybe change will will need to happen here. And and I don't know. I mean, a lot of this stuff with this like But this all like this yeah. all gets to like yeah. how are you measuring success? That's right? a good point. Be- because yeah, like the Wolves are probably not going to win a championship like in the next couple of years. Right. Probably not. Maybe something crazy happens and and it all comes together, but probably not. But I, I think like one of the the misconceptions about this, there's two things. One is um, I think that there was there's a an appetite and a and a goal within the Timberwolves organization with Tim Conley, with Chris Finch, with the ownership that to, understanding where the Timberwolves have been forever and what constitutes some sort of next step out of the gutter and that is let's build a team that is in the playoffs almost every year and that maybe has a chance to win a round or two and let's get the uh reputation off of our backs of this hapless poorly run um dysfunction laden organization and and put that by the wayside because the doing that is the first step is like you get into the playoffs regularly. They have never, they've only been in the playoffs back to back years, one other time in their history. Um, and then you also put Anthony Edwards in a situation where he's playing meaningful games a lot. And, and so that is the goal. Number one. Okay. Um, okay. Hold on though. I, I'm with all that. I get the value of that, but you can't just buy that. And that's what they tried to do. They just tried to buy that with a $40 million player for five first round picks. They tried to buy their way out of the gutter. And they did. They made the playoffs. They, yeah, they, yeah. They did and they made the playoffs. But that comes at a cost. You yeah. don't have those picks anymore. And you have right. 30.6% of your salary cap tied up to Rudy Gobert in perpetuity. You know, like, I struggle with that part of it. That they... Like, yes, the Wolves need to get out of the gutter. 
you need to get out of the gutter and be able to stay out of the gutter. And, and what getting out of the gutter did, they, they incurred a risk of falling back into it deeper. And, and both things can be true. And I know I'm doing the fatalist part of this, but I think they were on their way out of the gutter. I think Anthony Edwards was going to pull them out of the gutter. I at least think that was a reasonable expectation Possible. without having mortgaged the next seven yeah. years. And I'm not saying one is completely right or completely wrong, but the one they chose was a shortcut. It just mm-hmm. was in the same yes. way that signing Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson and letting go of the youth movement in the Tibbs era was a shortcut. It's a different shortcut. I'm not saying it's going to lead to Jimmy cutting a player cutting Timberwolves out of his shirt and mm-hmm. being the disaster that that was. I really don't think it's going to be that, but it's a shortcut nonetheless. And I don't know. I just think that's a that's a that's a factor when we when we talk about the need to move this team to relevance. There were different paths to being able to do sure. that. Yeah, 100%. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think that the what I look at is the way that I, I said it from the start when they made this trade. How do you measure success? I think that it was you had to make the playoffs all four years of Rudy's deal. You had to advance out of the first round, I think, three of those years. And you had to make one conference finals. Like, I didn't think, like, you had to be a champion. Yeah. Um, but I do think that you had to elevate this franchise in a way that it has never, never been in its history to a different plane. But the other part that I factor into how you evaluate this is Anthony Edwards is still six years from his prime six, yeah, like six, like that is a long ass time and a million things can happen between now and then. Now they have absolutely made it more difficult to set a foundation over these next four to five years to make sure that when he gets to 27 years old, they are ready to catapult, not just into second round or conference final status, but like, Hey, we think we have a team that can actually at the beginning of the playoffs say, we want to be in the championship. Mm -hmm. We want to go to the finals. Like there's a million things that have to happen, but also there, we are still a long ways away. Right from being to that point. And so I'm I'm all you... with that being a fair grade of success of the Gobert mm-hmm. trade provided once that time of Rudy's deal is up there is a pathway to sustaining that level or True. getting above it. And again, like you said 6 years out, how do we know anything there of what is going to happen? But we will know we, what we do know is over this time, it they're not going to be able to bring in first-round draft picks, broad, I mean, or every other year. They're not going to be every able to bring year. in yep. uh, as, as many as they would, yep. and they're going to be limited in on the margins in the way that they can add to this team in free agency. And definitely, if they're in the second apron, you literally can't do any of that stuff. Yes. So it's like, I agree that that is a way to determine success of the Gobert window but the Gobert window is only the first couple chapters of the Edwards book. And, and maybe that's getting too far out into the future. And maybe they can find a way, like we said with the Delo stuff, along the way, like Tim has had a pattern of doing throughout his career in Denver, finding ways to pick up little p- 
pieces, Gary Harris's, Monte Morris's, all those type of things along the way that lead mm-hmm. to being a KCP, right? That fuels it. Josh Minot. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and, and maybe, and, and maybe, right? Or Nas Reed, if you're able to find a way to bring him back, or Nikhil Alexander Walker, those type of things. And doing that year over year over year can get you to that point once Rudy's time here is done. Um, it's a hell of a task. It, it, it is. It is a hell of a task. Do you think, like, here's what I'll ask you. Do you think that if they, if they did not do the Rudy trade, uh, let's, let's just say, like, that's, that didn't happen. What's, it does not guarantee that they would have made other moves that would have got them to where they want to go either. You still have to go, whether you go get Miles Turner, whether you go get somebody else. Um, Looney, the, they yeah, were in on Looney. Yep. What what you have is, well, Looney told no, but like. But um, that, I'm talking about like that type of yes, move, like a mid-level type of guy. Th- they clearly would have had more bullets in yes. their chamber and more bites at the apple, how, mm-hmm. whatever anecdote or, or phrase you want to use to, to, to say that. Right. Um, cause right now they don't like by, mm-hmm. by doing the Rudy deal, you do not have the same things. And so, um, I just wonder like, what was the likelihood that you build a team that is consistently in the playoffs, maybe can win a round or two, maybe eventually can get to the conference finals over the next three years with Rudy, without Rudy, um, because they've already, they're, they're, they're in one with Rudy. See, um, I, I now think... they have to go a lot further these next couple of years to mm-hmm. even come close to justifying. But I'm just saying like, it's like when we think about it, it's kind of like thinking about future draft picks. You assume that whatever draft pick they had that they gave up in 2027 or whatever was going to be a great rotation player because or a great trade asset. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I just don't know, like, what the alternative was and and i i still think that john it comes down to the ceiling thing it comes down to how much yeah. do you believe in in your point of i believe that team had a ceiling on it right you mm-hmm. believe the mm-hmm. 21 22 team had a ceiling on yeah. it and why was that what were the reasons for that um i i think that vanderbilt was just what we saw in the playoffs mm-hmm. um, was a guy that Fair. could help in certain situations, but not in others. I thought D'Lo was um, a player who was again, unreliable. And if you caught fire with him, you're going to be fine. But, um, but otherwise it's, it's not someone that you could build a team around. I thought Pat Bev was at the end of his mm-hmm. line. And I thought that uh, Malik Beasley was not again, a, someone for other reasons, completely un- unreliable. Mm-hmm. And so you look and at the, the rebounding, group that right? they gave up. Yes. And the rebounding. Yes. Like you I, look at the group, mm-hmm. all those guys that they sent out, What? Mm-hmm. where were they when you really needed them in, in for the Lakers in nut-cutting time? They were on the bench. Totally. Totally. And, and Walker Kessler is the one. Like, that's the one you're like, shoot, man. That was a huge mistake. Walker Kessler uh, and the four firsts. The four well, yes. other firsts. Yeah, right. And, and right. so, I, and I'm not even, I'm just... So that, but that, that's what I was saying, like, with that team... Like that, that, that roster got, you squeezed everything you could out of it. Maybe you should have beat Memphis. I don't know. But like that, that was changes were going to have to happen. You were not going to go forward with Vanderbilt, Beasley, 
D'Lo and 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 be a team that was going to win series in the playoffs. I think the changes you could have made, and it would have been a much more, it would not have been an exponential up curve. The changes you could have made are a positional shift for Carl, as they did, while getting a center who can rebound and effectively turn up the level of the defense of the team or make it more diverse, which, again, Walker Kessler, we didn't expect that to be. That probably would have worked. But again, mm-hmm. Looney, other type, mid-level exception, 15, 12, $10 million guys could have potentially got you there. And then you would have had your slower progression up with a loaded bag of assets to have been able to trade over the course of seven years, not all at once, but a guy here, uh, you know, maybe adding a pick to a Malik Beasley and you get someone else like you could, there was another path and I don't know if it, it wouldn't have been better, but I think it's wrong to say, I think it's right to say that that team that roster as constructed had a ceiling. I don't think the way that roster was building necessarily had a ceiling. I think you could have done, and obviously this is easy for me to say after having the path they took with Rudy year one flopping. But I did say that, you know, back at the time to some extent too. And I think, to, I mean, this you asked me the question. I think that's how you built this team out in a way that maybe in three years you aren't Western Conference Finals, but you are consistently at least the team that you were this year, which is a play-in team. I, I think there was a path to slowly be a play-in play team and, quite frankly, grow the way that the Nuggets grew. You know, mm-hmm. like 2017-18, it was basically the play-in game when they played the Wolves, right? And yeah. and that's where they were. And then slowly, they went on top of that. They took their lumps along the way in terms of injuries. I don't think it's crazy to say the Wolves could have taken that alternate path and that it also could have achieved some of the same, had a chance at achieving some of the same goals that you were saying are the goals of the Gobert era. I think it's possible. Yeah. It's, it is possible. It, I mean, the bottom line, what this all comes down to is that Rudy wasn't good yeah. enough in year one of this. And if they don't, it, it, what is going to turn this from a possible, what looks like a bad deal right now into either a disaster or one that was okay, is that is Rudy on it hitting the decline? Is this 30-year-old Rudy, 31-year-old Rudy that is just going down and he's not going to block as many shots and he's not going to move as well and he's going to be a little bit more banged up? Is that the case? Or was it, you know what? Um, it all just didn't work out last mm-hmm. year. It was just weird. Like, he was banged up I think Rudy's going to be better. I, I think yeah. Rudy's going to be better. Yeah, like, and so I, if, I if you get a better Rudy Gobert next season, um, now all of a sudden, like I do think that the possibilities of this team being beyond a plan, being in and being a team that can win rounds. What we thought they were going to be significantly, a, a, a yeah. team that wins a lot of regular season yeah. games, and let's see how this works in the play. Like I, I right. do think, like oddly, I think my prediction for next year's team is going to be similar to what my prediction was this year, which is mm-hmm. like a fifty-win team that I'm not sure how, if it can play at that 50-win level in the playoffs. But they but they certainly could. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that, I don't think this wa- this roster is dead in the water in terms of right. playing in the playoffs. I, I don't. I think there's maybe more you need to navigate 
with this type of roster in the playoffs than you would with other type of rosters. But but I, I do think they are going to progress accordingly going going forward. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is, again, for the 15th different way, I don't think this is the Jimmy situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. From a chemistry standpoint, from yeah. all of that, like it's not anywhere close to to that Jimmy thing. And so if it gets to that point, like I still think that if he gets to a point where Anthony Edwards is playing second round mm-hmm. uh, games, even a conference finals games, huh, like right. to put that kid in in those in those experiences and build him up so that you are ready to go when he is, when he's 27 and he has the taste of blood in his mouth. Right. Like that's what you, that. They like, got the taste of blood in his mouth right now. And he's 21. Uh, that exactly. in and of itself and is an accomplishment. I will cap ne- that. Cat never got that taste. Kevin yep. Love never got that taste. Rubio, like Al- Jeff- whoever was like the guy that was supposed to be the guy over the last 15 years, Anthony Randall, never got it. Never got it. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so Ant has that yeah. a little bit now. And he will only get more of that if there's more of that success. And so that's why, like, um, I look at the deal so far as it it, it has not worked out. Uh, you are worried about where it's going, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a lost cause yet. I don't think that this actually this last season was maybe as big of a flop as some people mm-hmm want to look at it as just given all that they dealt with and they still got right. to the first round. Now that is not what any, I said at the beginning and we had that podcast at head flyer and it was, I thought they were 52 wins. You got up on the table were, and yeah, you said, I'm let's go. <laughs> and, 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 and people are, were so fired up yeah. and, um and, and there was that possibility now. So they fell short of that. Absolutely. Um, But I do think that there were other things that were out of their control for, for a reason that, but I and I, I also think like they if they can find a way to get closer to the all star Rudy, that change that it potentially changes things again. I don't I can't ensure that it's going to happen. I don't know. Well, Maybe and, he and how it works with Ant. That's the biggest part in that all star and works with Ant. Exactly. Neither of those are out of the question. Neither of but those things happened but, last year. Neither one, I will say, neither one is an obvious answer right now. You can't say yes. with definitiveness that this team is actually going to get better next year, mm-hmm. but you also can't say with any kind of definitiveness that um, that this is a total lost cause. Like, that's the way that I look at it, at least. Last thing for you. Uh, prediction on Nas Reed and or Nikhil Alexander-Walker as I think, I think technically they could sign Nas to an extension here till the end of the month. Yes. I think it's June 28th or something. Um, then obviously he goes into free agency, which they could, they could bring him back to Nikhil Alexander Walker is a restricted free agent, obviously in a lower class of the free agent pool. But do you have any, um, inclinations on you on how that might play out? Are we waiting on the draft waiting for the market to set a little bit more? What, what's going on there? Well, I, I mean, I think that the wolves, if they could sign Nas Reed right now, they would. Um, I think that they they they've had conversations with him and his representation all year long that have continued going up. Yeah. Yeah. And the prices. And and that is the thing, though, is that I I think we are close enough to free agency now Mm -hmm. where Nas probably looks at it like, why wouldn't I just wait another month and see exactly what my other options are before I sign a deal to stay here? Mm -hmm. What if 
something comes yeah. available. What if a trade is made to, to open up a space somewhere else? Yeah. Um, and I get a starting role or certainly get more money mm -hmm. than what the Wolves can offer. And so I just think we're close enough to that point that um, I agree with that. I think patience Nas makes will, sense for him. Yeah. We'll want to see the market. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe a market doesn't happen too because. Like the one thing that you look at is there's not a lot of spending power out there True. that that can really splash the pot and 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 give Nas a huge amount of money um, that would that would just probably say, oh, no brainer. I'm taking this like it's not as quite finding another spot for him uh, where, where he'll make either a way more money or B have a starting job. It's not exactly there's not a ton of people there, but it could happen. Given and that middle class pinch you were things. talking about, too. That that exactly. that's a fact. I don't even I can't even really totally yeah. wrap my head around that. I think the Nikhil one I'm getting the sense is is more likely. Um, I yeah, think he, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, you know, given his status, also given, um, you know, he played well here, yeah. but um, but it wasn't like knock you out of the knock your socks off kind of thing. And let's face it, too, the Wolves kind of really need him. Um, yep. They got to make something work with that. Um, and so I do think like that. I feel confident saying that Nikhil Alexander Walker will be here next year. I still think there's a chance that Nas is here. I, I'm not writing that off at all because I, I think that Nas really likes it here. And if all things were close to equal, maybe he looks at that and says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll stick around and then see what happens with Towns and Rudy and 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 go forward with there with with that." But um, uh, I haven't given up on that. But it, I can just I can see another team offering greater role, greater money to Nas. Mm -hmm. That would keep that would prompt him to go uh, a lot more than I see that with Alexander Walker. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's it, and I don't think Nas Reed by the fan base can or will be faulted by that if that's no. ultimately the the no. path he takes because it's you know uh, at least for this year it's looking like you'd be the third center or the third big right you know and and playing mm -hmm. that role that that he played last year before he got hurt which was is meaningful. Um, but uh, to your point, yeah, I'm just saying a different way of more money, bigger role. It seems reasonable that he would do that. And that's why I wouldn't blame him or his representation for going out and, and looking for that. And the wolves can ultimately, they can say Nas's representation can say, Hey, we have this out here. Do you want to one up that? Right? Like mm -hmm. they, they yep. the wolves have his bird rights, whatever. Like they can, yep. they can do that. And then Nikhil is literally in a restricted free agency where he can go out and get signed whatever contract he wants, and the Wolves, the Wolves have the right it. of first refusal, yeah. and they can they can match it there too. So, and it's life for a restricted free agent is really hard, especially yes. when you're one like Nikhil, that mm -hmm. like a, a role player type. Uh, so the the likelihood of him giving some big offer sheet that is going to that is going to make the Wolves say, "Now nah, we can't do that." I think that one's going to very very minimal. Man. I, I really like, do. I, I really think it's going to be like six or seven. Like at I, most, at yeah. most, I, yeah, yep. I would, I would be surprised. And if it's longer year, I mean, and maybe they'd want to keep it shorter. Maybe if they keep it shorter, they pay, if it's for one year or something, they pay more. But I, when I look at it or from what I've heard, I think Nas can get up to, at least up to the mid level with some teams out there, which is about 12, which is about what, you know, maybe the wolves would be willing to pay in, in that range or maybe slightly less than that. Um, but it comes down to what does Nas want? What does he want in, in terms of role there? So that those are, I mean, it's, it's weird. We have the draft in nine days. We 
don't have anything to talk about there. This yeah. it's <laughs> Nikhil Alexander Walker. Looking forward Nasri. to your breakdowns of the 53rd pick. Oh my that, God. That, I was that, trying to text some people yesterday. I'm like, <laughs> can you just send me five names? Yeah. I was like, just send me five names. Like, I won't say anything. Uh, I just want to, cause I don't want to go like watch 10 guys who they're not going to pick. I don't know, but it's kind of, I guess there's, there's something, there's something nice about not again being at the point where they've been for all 18 years of your career for the most part of like, all right, the number four overall pick, who's it yes. going to be? You know, mm-hmm. um, we're at least, we're at least past that. Uh, he's John Krasinski. Um, I'm sure you all follow him uh, on Twitter and um, read his work over at The Athletic. Uh, I, I think The Athletic has been churning out some great stuff uh, during the playoffs. And I'm sure John will have... Uh, We'll have plenty more here with the draft and free agency coming up right upon us. John, thank you for doing it. Yeah, good times. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Yep. I will I'll probably see you next week at the boring draft. Um, <laughs> until then, uh, he's John. I'm Dane. I'll talk to you on Thursday with Britt. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com